choir is doing a wonderful job, and they'll be back here in just a moment. I'm going to give them a break. Um, and the children's choir, adding them, was great as well. This, this cantata is broke up in six different sections. We had the opening, Love Came Down, and then the section on Hope, O Come, uh, o, come o Come, Emmanuel. And then they just sang about peace, grant us peace. In a moment, they're, talk, they're singing about joy and then love and then love divine as well. So I want to talk about peace for just a couple minutes here. I don't know if you noticed the narration earlier. It said, the world waited with hope, watching expectantly for the peace promised by God in the scriptures. And peace was brought by the child born in Bethlehem. And I want to read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. They read a little bit of that. Let me read it again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In verse 7 it says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. It's amazing. Of the greatness of his government, his this is prophetic talking about Jesus and peace. There will be no end. It will be eternal. It says he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah was writing this some 700 years before Christ. Some 700 years before Christ. And if you look in the first few verses of Isaiah 9, if you look at verses 1 through 5, it talks about going from doom to hope. You know, uh, the northern kingdom is being conquered. The southern kingdom, Assyria, is moving in on the southern kingdom. And there's this amazing prophecy about a better way, about someday when God will make all things new. Someday when God will make all things right. They're going from doom to hope. In verses 6 through 7, which I just read, is about the future government, the eternal government. And it's, it uses, you know... A phrase is to talk about how great that government will be. The governor, which will be Jesus, that he will be the king eternal, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This passage shows that, that the son to be born of the virgin cannot be a mere human son. Just a few chapters before this, in Isaiah 7, there was a prophecy about Emmanuel, about the son to be born of the virgin. And this passage is showing he's not a mere human son. He is the Savior of the world. This passage has not yet been fully fulfilled. It's been partially fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. Remember the words of the choir anthem. They were saying, born a child to grant us peace. Grant us peace, Lord. And then later they sang, peace on earth, goodwill for all. Verse 6 here says, the government will rest on his shoulders. We get this picture in the New Testament that Jesus is reigning. He's reigning right now, but not literally now. Eventually, we see in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 that Jesus will be reigning literally over all. He literally will be the King Eternal, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is now, but eventually, he's going to actually make all things new and all things right. We see here the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This means that Jesus will do more than any other person can do. He will be fully God. He will be everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I like what one source wrote about this phrase, everlasting Father. 
He is said to be everlasting, just as God the Father is called the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. The Messiah will be a fatherly ruler. The Messiah, Jesus, will be a fatherly ruler. Third, perhaps Isaiah had in mind the promise to David about the foreverness of the kingdom, which God promised would come through David's line. In Daniel chapter 7, I mean, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, there was a promise to King David that through his line, there will be an everlasting ruler. And that is fulfilled in Jesus. The Messiah, a descendant of David, will fulfill this promise for which the nation had been waiting. And in reality, for which the whole world had been waiting for a savior. He will be called the Prince of Peace. The one who will bring in and maintain the time of millennial peace when the nation will be properly related to the Lord. Verse 7 again emphasizes that there will be no end to his kingdom. It will be a forever kingdom. Praise God we can experience Jesus' kingdom right now. But we will not fully experience Jesus' kingdom until the end when all is made right by Jesus. So my question for you before we move on, are you surrendered to Jesus? Where are you at spiritually? Is Jesus your Prince of Peace, your Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this anthem that reminds us of you, the Prince of Peace, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, wonderful Savior, mighty God, everlasting Father. Lord God, I thank you for these prophecies made some 700 years before you came, fulfilled in you, Jesus. Jesus, right now, before we move on, I pray that there's a conviction on me and on all of us to reflect on our life. And if you're not our Lord, may today be the day to surrender to you. If there are things we're holding back, may today be the day. And this Advent season be a season to surrender to you. May you be our Prince of Peace. Even in difficult times, Lord, you're our Lord, you're our Savior, you're our sustainer, you're our sustenance, and you can give us peace as we pray and surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. next part was about joy, and I thought that that anthem was all, of, all joyful. Couldn't you tell? Couldn't, it sounded joyful. I mean, it was resounding with joy. Another part of the Bible we can see joy is Psalm 98, and we'll get to that in a minute. And we sang a little bit ago, um, Joy to the World, that wonderful hymn, likely based off of Psalm 98. Let me talk about Psalm 98 in a minute, but first I just want to emphasize some of the words that the choir was uh, singing. Listen to the sound of the angels singing. Hear the joyful music fill the sky. Join with the heavenly chorus. Glory be to God on high. Listen to the news of the wondrous story. Echo through the heavens clear and strong. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Listen to the sound of the angels singing a Christmas song. See the shepherds kneeling at the manger, worshiping the newborn king. Hear the bells of heaven ringing. Hark, the herald angels sing. Then they Went on, hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. 
The anthem continued with other songs. As they read it weeks ago, it made me think of the angels worshiping the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, we see the angels going there worshiping the Lord. Psalm 98 goes along with joy to the world. And it, it seems as though joy to the world was actually um, inspired in a, in a light way by Isaac Watts' study of Psalm 98. As he studied Psalm 98, he ended up writing joy to the world. I'm going to read Psalm 98, and I'm going to add a few, uh, a few comments in between. Psalm 98 begins, O sing to the Lord a new song. O sing to the Lord a new song. And one must ask, why? Why do we sing to the Lord a new song? We have to keep reading in Psalm 98. For he has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. I love that. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You know, this is true. The Lord has made known his salvation. Are we not the ends of the earth? I mean, Psalm 98 was written somewhere in Israel. And now we're way over here. In the new world, so to speak. And we are also proclaiming the salvation of our God. We're not in Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the salvation of the Lord. This psalm is anticipating the Lord's final salvation as well. The Lord remembered Israel. All through the Old Testament, the people of Israel were God's chosen people, but they did not follow God. So God allowed them to be defeated by other nations. But Jesus came. Jesus is the rightful king of Israel and also of the world. Let me keep reading. Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9, verses 4 through the end. It says, Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of the melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Shout joyfully before the king, the Lord. Notice how it modifies shout. How are we to shout? joyfully before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Verse 9, before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. That's powerful. We need a judge that will judge with righteousness. Jesus will come again and he will judge the earth. We see this in Revelation eleven eighteen. I want to read more about joy to the world. This comes from a devotional about hymns. And it says, this was written by Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts lived between 1674 and 1748. So just a few years ago, right? And um, this reads Luke chapter 2, verse 10, which says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. This is angels talking to shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Good job. That will be for all people. For unto us a Savior has been born. This writes about this. It says, as one of the most joyous of all Christmas hymns, this carol omits references to shepherds, angelic choruses, and wise men. It emphasizes instead the reverent but ecstatic joy that Christ's birth brought to mankind. For centuries, hearts had yearned for God to reveal himself personally. At last it happened as the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The entire Advent season should be filled with solemn rejoicing as we contemplate anew God's great gift, providing the means whereby sinful man might live eternally. 
Joy to the world is a paraphrase of the last part of Psalm 98. The last part reads this way. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be together, be joyful all together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness, shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Although it was originally a song of rejoicing for Jehovah's protection of his chosen people, in the anticipation of the time when he would be the God of the whole earth, this psalm was intended by Watts to be a New Testament expression of praise. It exalts the salvation that began when God became incarnate as a babe of Bethlehem, who was destined to remove the curse of Adam's fall. The text was originally titled, The Messiah's Coming and Kingdom, when it first appeared in Watts' hymnal of 1719. It reads this way, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Express gratitude for our Savior's birth with these words. Let me pray. Lord God, we continue to worship you, hopefully joyfully worshiping you as we listen to the anthem which the choir has prepared. We praise you and exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one more anthem to close here in just a minute. But I want to talk about love for just a moment. Notice the words again. Hope came down too because a Savior was given. And joy came down in the celebration of God's gift of grace. Think about God's love. A group of college students, uh, they were actually medical students, and they were going through a John chapter 3 with a pastor leading them in a Bible study. And each person was reading one verse. So, you know, you read John chapter 3, verse 1, and then verse 2. They got to verse 16, and the person who was supposed to read verse 16 said, Everybody knows John 3.16. The pastor commented later, If you really think just everybody knows John 3.16, you really don't know John 3.16. John 3.16 is packed with power. John 3.16-18, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Verses 17 through 18, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You might have heard me share this story. David Platt shares a story of a missionary who was in, I think, China or some country over there, and he was passing out New Testaments, and he goes to pass out to a guy and asks him to take a, a New Testament of the Scriptures. And, and the guy said, look, I'm not really interested in this New Testament, but these thin pages would be perfect for rolling cigarettes with. And to which the missionary said, I'll give you that New Testament as long as you promise 
to read the page before you tear it and roll a cigarette with it. Uh, David Platt was not endorsing this. I'm certainly not endorsing it. But a few days later, the missionary saw the man. And the missionary said, how's it going? And the man said, it's going well, actually. I went through Matthew and smoked through Matthew. I went through Mark and smoked through Mark. I got through John chapters 1 and 2. And I got to John 3.16. And I couldn't keep going. He got to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And he was convicted by the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That he was a sinner in need of a savior. And he was delivered and he turned his life over to Christ right then and there. How powerful it is and how awesome it is the way God works through his word. His inspired word. I've heard testimony after testimony of people who are at their end ready to take their own life, and they go to a hotel, and they pull out a Gideon Bible, they start to read the scripture, and they turn their life over to Jesus. And this man, it did because of God's great love in John chapter 3, verse 16. As we look at John 3, 16, we see that God loved and God gave. God loved so much so that he gave. We were stuck in our sin, and so God intervened. God loved. Notice further that God loved to the point where God gave. God loved and he loved everyone. No one is left out. God so loved the world. It's the Greek word cosmos. It means every single person. No one is left out. God loves everyone. No one is beyond God's love. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. How are we doing with giving this holiday season? How are we doing with giving this Christmas season? How are we doing with giving the rest of the year? God loves so much that God gave. That's the purpose. Chuck Swindoll pointed out in a certain illustration that we are, no, we, we, we are never, back up, we are never more like God than when we give. We are never more like God than when we give. God gave his only begotten son, or his one and only son, or the, the Greek could be literally his unique son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and the rest of the passage shows the purpose. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God wanted us to have salvation. So God so loved the world that he gave with the purpose that we would be saved. That's the purpose that we would be saved. Salvation is open to all people, but only through Jesus. Look at verse 18. Salvation is only through Jesus. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him, that's Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We have to believe in Jesus. Salvation is open to anyone through Jesus. Salvation is exclusive in that it is through Jesus. But Christianity is inclusive. God wants all to be saved. This includes everyone. But salvation is only through Jesus because Jesus takes care of our sins. Everyone is eligible. All of you, every one of us, everyone in the world is eligible for the free gift of salvation that God offers out of his love. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We see this idea all throughout the New Testament and all throughout the Bible. We need a way to take care of our sins. Jesus took care of our sins on the cross. Let's make some applications. Do we believe this truth? Do we believe this truth? Do we care? 
Salvation is real, and guess what? Eternity is real. So do you believe in Jesus? And next, is Jesus your Lord? Are you trusting in him for salvation? And do you want others to trust in him for salvation as well? A man is rushed to the hospital. A doctor examines him and informs him that he is critically ill. Critically ill. The patient is told that he will die unless he gets proper treatment. So the physician then prescribes medicine for him, writes out the prescription, and the physician tells him that he is totally confident that if the patient takes this medicine, if the patient takes this prescription, has it filled, and takes this medicine, the patient will get better. Now, what is the patient to do? The patient could just lay there on his or her sickbed and just have total confidence that the doctor is right. But the patient will not get better. The patient has to go and get the prescription filled and take the medicine. He is not better if he does not take the medicine. And that's the same thing with you and me. It's right to believe in Jesus, but we have to go further than just believing. We must accept him as our Lord and Savior. We must trust in him, trust in him as Lord and Savior. We must commit to him as Lord and Savior. The Bible uses four verbs to describe the commit, um, our commitment to Christ. They're confess. We confess that we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Have you done that? That's repentance. By the way, confession is not simply saying, I'm sorry. You repent and you turn around. <laughs> Many times we say we confessed our sin, but we go back to it the same thing the next day. The Bible says that's like a dog returning to its vomit. It's pretty disgusting. And our sin is disgusting to God. We need to confess we are a sinner and even a Savior. Repent. We must believe. Believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again. Believe John 3.16. Believe John 14.6. Believe Luke 9.23. Jesus says, anyone could come after me, but he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Many times we might confess and we might believe, but we do not commit and we do not trust. Jesus calls us to commit to him, to trust in him every day. <clears throat> Have you done that? I'm not asking if you stopped at believing. I'm asking, are you trusting in him as Lord and Savior? Is he your Lord of your life? It doesn't mean you won't mess up. I think the most important fruit of a Christian is that they repent. When we sin against somebody, we repent to them. We repent to God, repent to them. Repent to all those we sin against. That's something a Christ follower is to do, is to repent. What does it mean to live a life following Jesus. It means that we firmly make the decision to be with him. We want to live life with Jesus in order to become like him. We want to become like Jesus and learn and do all that he says. And then you arrange your affairs around Jesus. You arrange your life around Jesus. Jesus is in the center of your life and your life orbits around Jesus. For most of us, that's not the way it works. Most of us have, imagine a whiteboard and you are in the middle and you have all these activities orbiting around you. You have sports and you have hobbies, maybe fishing and hunting, and you have education and you have work and you have children and you have grandchildren, and you have Jesus in church orbiting around you. That's not the way it should go. Jesus in church should be right in the middle and everything else orbits around it. Jesus is totally a part of you, that he goes with you everywhere you go and he is in the center of your life. Is Jesus the center of your life? Let's bow to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your awesome love for us. Your awesome love for us. That you would send Jesus to live and die for our sins and rise again. 
born in a manger, born in a barn, laid in a feeding trough, born in total humility, living a life in total humility, living a life sinless, and dying on the cross for our sins and rising again. Lord God, I pray that we all live for you. We are committed to you. I pray that all of us, every day, firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you and to learn and do all that you say. And we all, every day, arrange our affairs around you. Lord God, if there's anyone here who is not saved, who's never made a commitment, accepted your free gift of salvation, maybe they believe, but they haven't accepted you as Lord and Savior. They're not committed to you. They're not trusting in you. Lord, I pray that today, this Christmas season, today is a day of salvation. We're never promised tomorrow. May today be the day of committing their life to you. As we continue in a prayerful state with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you'd like to commit your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior today, pray this prayer with me. The prayer is not magical. It's just telling God what you're doing. But pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you and trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, I am firmly making the decision to be with you. I want to become like you, and I want to learn and do all that you say, and I'm going to arrange my affairs around you. Lord, may that be true of every one of us every day that we, every day, get up and make you Lord, and every day commit our life to you, arrange our affairs around you. And Lord, may we have the abundant life, the fuller life, the complete life you offer that we have a relationship with you that is more than, a, more than just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but a relationship of knowing you every day of this life, living by the Holy Spirit, walk, walking by the Holy Spirit, spending time with you in your word, the Bible, in prayer, and certainly with your church family. We thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you said that prayer of salvation, share it with somebody today. As always, if you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I would love to help you out. I'm going to turn it back over to the choir for the closing anthem.